imagine if you could overhear private, unfiltered conversations between the world's most influential and inspirational women? Now you can. Welcome to Leadership Global, where you'll hear from inspiring leaders who will help you define your vision, grow your leadership, expand your influence, and increase your impact to leave a lasting legacy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Lead Hership Global. Today, I'm so excited to have Debbie Corot with us, the CEO and founder of Inspired HR. And we're going to be talking about a subject that I think is just so important, especially right now, and that is how to thrive in a rapidly evolving global workplace. You know, in a year marked by crisis and uncertainty, corporate America really is at a crossroads. The choices that companies make today will have consequences on gender equality for decades to come. Many women feel like they're now always on. Now that boundaries between work and home have been blurred, they're worried about their family's health and finances and burnout is a real issue. The pandemic has intensified the challenges that women already faced. Working mothers have always worked a double shift, a full day of work followed by hours spent for caring for children and doing household labor. Now, the challenges brought on by COVID-19 make taking care of children plus school, plus childcare, plus household duties even more challenging. Meanwhile, Black women already face more barriers to advancement than most other employees. Women, especially women of color, are more likely to have been laid off or furloughed during COVID-19, stalling their careers and jeopardizing their financial security. Companies now risk losing women in leadership and future women leaders and unwinding years of painstaking progress towards gender diversity because of the incredible challenges that women face due to COVID-19. But, you know, the crisis also represents an opportunity. If companies can make significant investments in building a more flexible and a more empathetic workplace, and there are signs that this is actually starting to happen, they can retain employees most affected by today's crisis and begin to nurture a culture in which women have an equal opportunity to achieve their potential over the long term. And women have a unique leadership capability that positions them well to actually thrive in the rapidly evolving global workplace transformation that we're all a part of right now. From remote work to flexible schedules and the gig economy, Debbie Corot, the CEO and founder of Inspired HR, will discuss how to leverage your unique strengths to accelerate your career even during this uncertain time. Let me tell you just a little bit more about Debbie. She is an absolute powerhouse. She's the CEO and founder of Inspired HR, respected as one of Canada's top HR consultancies, serving over 200,000 employees across North America and Europe. She's widely recognized in the media and the business community as a workplace thought leader, and she's the author of the book, The Mentor Myth. 
Debbie is a regular guest on multiple national TV news outlets and regularly writes for Entrepreneur Magazine and CNBC about about workplace and careers. She has been recognized as one of Canada's top 25 HR professionals and one of Canada's most powerful women four times, marking her entry into Canada's top 100 Hall of Fame as the youngest inductee. She sits on multiple boards, including YPO Global, YPO British Columbia, University of Calgary Board of Governors, and the advisory board for FinDev Canada, including two private equity firms. So she has a crazy calendar and a crazy schedule, and we are so thrilled to have you with us today, Debbie. Thank you so much, Christina and Linda. I'm thrilled to be here with Leadership Global uh, to have a great discussion today. Awesome. So let's just jump right in. So why don't you just tell us a little bit more about like how you've generated this passion around optimizing human capital and women in the workplace and the importance of diversity. Like tell us about your journey and how you landed on this. Sure, I'd be happy to tell my story. And contrary to what everyone thinks, I didn't start in HR or human capital. I didn't take it at university. I actually started as an entrepreneur and bought into my first restaurant when I was 23 years old, which is a story for another day. But uh, I literally walked into the bank and I pitched the bank manager without a co-signer, without any money. And this guy must have felt sorry for me because I got a loan to invest in my first business. And so I always loved being in businesses around people and hospitality. And I think because I got lucky early, I never really realized that being a female was a barrier to getting ahead of my career. I don't know if it's because I was just so heads down in what I was doing and so focused that I just wasn't paying attention to any of the roadblocks or barriers. But I learned very quickly as a manager and a leader that that isn't the case for most people. And I just remember a couple conversations and sort of pivotal moments that really shifted in terms of where my passion led me in in terms of starting Inspired HR. So one of them was... When I was talking to a female, um, she was having challenges with one of her bosses, one of the other managers. And we sat down to have a coffee and sort of talk about the challenges. She was looking for some advice. And she said to me, she goes, I really need help. And she was a a great performer. So this was a really interesting conversation. She said, I don't know what to do every time I go and talk to this gentleman. Let's let's call him Bob. Uh, I feel like I'm going to throw up. I literally, I get sick to my stomach. I can't sleep the night before. I literally don't know how to deal with this guy. Like, so every time I come to work, I just feel like I'm going to throw up. I, I can't deal with this. And so she had these physiological reactions to the way that she was being managed. And when I dug a little bit deeper, it was, they dealt with conflict differently. It was a gregarious gentleman who thrived in a conflict environment and, and she didn't. And so I sort of thought that was interesting. And that was sort of the really first conversation where I went, not everyone deals with conflict and management styles the same way. And so I sort of I sort of parked that a little bit, but started to watch that sometimes women didn't have the same experience when they were getting mentored or managed or even just conversations with their supervisors. And then the bigger one came is I did a keynote speech for one of our larger restaurant groups conferences. And we asked the question of the audience and the, and there were mostly women in the audience because it was, it was about women in the workplace. And we asked the question sort of based on, on something I'd learned from Sheryl Sandberg was, what would you do if you were not afraid? 
And everyone on an index card wrote down their answer. What would they do if they were not afraid? And then in that group, I think there were five men and about 150 women. And the five men had their cards separately than the women. And when you asked the women, what would you do when, if you were not afraid? They said, ask for a raise. I'd ask for a promotion. I'd quit my job and start my own business. All five of the men wrote down nothing. They literally wrote down the word nothing. Like they're like, I, one of them wrote down, this is a stupid question. I don't get it. And it was, they literally just, fear had not crossed their mind in terms of they would do things differently. And for me, that was such a pivotal moment because it showed that as women, we approach our workplace decisions and what we do from a very different place. And that really started my journey on doing the research and the understanding, how do we help women get ahead? Because it's not always the same way as we do for men. Yeah, that is so true, Debbie. And what powerful stories illustrating that point. You know, we know that as a result of the challenges that women face that have been intensified with COVID-19, more than one in four women are now contemplating what many would have considered just simply unthinkable six months ago, and that's downshifting their careers or leaving the workforce completely. So in your story, you were talking about a unique situation where a woman was feeling um, discounted or in some way she felt diminished, but many women now, one in four are actually feeling as though they cannot manage their careers. And this is an emergency for corporate America. What would you advise women that are considering leaving the workforce or downshifting their careers right now? Yeah. So there are a number of things, and this really is a crisis that we see coming is so many women, especially when you've got women that have got young children at home and they're having to homeschool or they're under the policies now with the pandemic that they could get a phone call from school and all of a sudden their children are home for 14 days. And then what do you tell your boss? So, so women are scared in a lot of cases. And so the first thing I would say is do a gut check. I mean, you need to do what's right for your family and there's no right answer for every person. For some people, that is the right, the right answer to step out for a period of time and be able to get back in. But for a lot of women, I would say, take a look at your employer and your workplace policies and procedures and see if there's a way that they're getting in the way of you being successful. Because a lot of times when we talk to women and we do we do exit interviews with people that have left their employer, 70% of the, the reason why they're leaving, if one thing could be changed, they wouldn't leave their job. So that's a very important stat for employers. So it could be something like, I need to work from home one day a week. It could be something like the way that the way that my manager manages me, we're not focused on objectives and deliverables. So he doesn't know I'm doing a good job because I'm not going out for lunch or going out for beers with them after work, or we're not golf buddies. And so taking a look at your business and how it's operating and measuring your success, because if there are some small policy changes you could recommend, that can make all the difference in the world for being able to manage your job. And the other one is clock punching. Like if you're if you're in a business where they actually monitor if you're online from nine to five or you physically have to be there, uh, if you can somehow work on a flexible schedule or just agree to your deliverables with your direct manager as opposed to the hours worked, you may not need to leave your job. So always explore that first. And if your employer's inflexible, before you quit, find one that's going to be more flexible because the smart employers and all the best workplaces today are recognizing that these things are critically important to attract and retain the best talents. And more than 50% of the workforce is women. And so 
I can't imagine a world where we would lose so much of our valuable talent. I think that makes so much sense. And I'm sure you've read the articles lately that have come out that have said that during the pandemic, women leaders are actually more effective at building inclusivity and flexibility in the workplace, which is not a shock based upon, you know, what you just said. But for those folks that are leading and managing now, what are some ways that they can build a more empathetic, inclusive, and flexible culture inside, you know, their companies to help, you know, women have equal opportunity for their potential and to not have this exodus that, you know, we see coming or is currently happening now? There's there's a couple. The number one one, and I can't say this enough, so I continue to repeat myself, is I encourage employers to focus on deliverables, not the amount of time that you're at your desk and the amount of time that you're around the water cooler networking and campaigning and all those things. Like, let's put some clear objectives in place and measure our teams based on getting stuff done. Not only will that help women stay in the workplace, but it'll help businesses be much more successful if we can actually measure the work that's getting done. And the second one is, is that I think it's critically important, and most people are recognizing this today, is we really need to do training around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Because unconscious bias, and in some cases, it's actually worse than unconscious bias, but having that training in place is so important so we understand or can at least empathize with what other people's experience may be in the workplace. And without that, we just don't know what we don't know. Most people don't wake up and say, I'm going to discriminate against women or people of color, but they do it unintentionally. And so as much as some people will roll their eyes at the training, if you can get everyone on the same page, it's not just the managers and the bosses of the world that are going to behave better. The pure culture will change and shift. And that's really where the magic happens is when everyone is holding the organization accountable to a higher and a better standard. Oh, that's great. I love this idea of the fact that the entire employee base can hold the organization accountable for having an empathetic and flexible work environment that is diverse, but more importantly, very inclusive of people of all different walks of life. Um, And I love that, that as leaders, we certainly have a responsibility. But I would say more importantly, as employees, as teammates, We have a responsibility to ensure that we are creating a workplace culture that is well-suited to everyone. Um, And, you know, one of the things that you've talked about, Debbie, that I just really resonate with is that women have some unique leadership capabilities that position them well to actually thrive in a rapidly evolving global workplace. We've talked about some of the unfortunate transformation that has uh, happened due to COVID-19, but there are some, uh, I think there is a bit of a silver lining for a lot of women because of the unique leadership capabilities that they have. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. The number one thing that I think has leveled the playing field with most of us moving to remote work is the fact that you're taking out all of the the political elements of the workplace and the campaigning and the networking and what some people like to call the old boys club, but it's not necessarily the old boys club. It's whoever's the best salesperson and the best schmoozer. We often know that those people get promoted and they get ahead. 
all of a sudden, when we're all working remotely, you don't have someone that's cozying up to the boss and playing tennis with them or going for drinks after work. You don't have that person that's talking a big game and not doing their work and not getting noticed because they're charismatic. So all of a sudden, that level playing field is something that's really helped women shine because we're all now... They're taking a look at the work that's actually getting done. And it doesn't matter what's happening around the water cooler because you can't manage that anymore. So I think that that's an important one. The other areas that women thrive, and when you look at some of the data, Harvard's actually done a lot of research around this. A lot of the softer leadership attributes that women tend to be very good at, and in fact, quite often statistically significantly better than men, are things like empathy, uh, collaboration, and teamwork. Change management is a critical one today. Like some of these skills that have always sort of been thought of as as softer skills as opposed to technical competency have now become more and more important. If you can't focus on building your team and communication is another one, women women skew much higher than men on clear communication. And when you're when you've got people all over the country or all over the city that aren't in the same room communication all of a sudden becomes critical. You have to over-communicate and you need to be clear. And women are thriving in this area. And I, I love to see it because when we look at women that are some of the data in the last year, women that are working remotely are getting promoted at a 20% higher rate than women that are in the office. So I, I believe the research shows that about in a course of 12 months, 37% of women that are in an office get a promotion. It's almost 60% of women that work remotely that are getting promoted. So these skills are now being recognized and rewarded. So we just need to continue to leverage them. Agreed. And I think we could all agree that one of the worst things that could happen is this impending crisis of women women leaving the workplace in you know, sort of mass numbers. And so, you know, when that happens, women lose both their mentors and their allies internally, and then the ability in some ways to even get rehired back into the workplace, you know, when they're ready to rejoin. So what can women do now today to really support each other and to find a path forward when they are inside the workplace, whether in they're in person or they are virtual? That's a great question. This one's so important. And this is where peer networks like Leadership Global is such a great organization where you can bring together women in a peer community where you can share experiences and challenges and prop each other up. I think that something like that is really, really important. And I know my peer networks over the course of my career, and I don't mean my girlfriends that I'll go for a glass of wine with or go out with. I mean women that are in a similar place to me where we can talk about work-life balances and the, the challenges that some of us face as women in the workplace or the pressure from your spouse to not work so much or the judgment from the moms around the playground. Like Having that peer network is so critical. The other thing I want to share a secret, because this is one of the things that really helped me in my career is, and this is where I think peer networks can really, really help, is for women, and this isn't necessarily true for men, when you look at a female's career trajectory from when they graduate from university through when they retire, competence and confidence are equally correlated with success. So I'll say that again, confidence and competence, so either or, are equally correlated with success. 
So when we think about things that hold women back, it's not typically the competence, their ability to do their job well, it's their confidence. So to apply for that stretch assignment or that new job they're not 100% qualified for, or to advocate for that raise or for their position on an important issue. So one of the things that I learned early from one of my bosses was that whole thing on, he said, he let me in on this little secret and he said, you don't have to be 100% confident in your position. You don't have to know 100% of the things. He goes, quite honestly, in my mind, when I do the analysis, it's 53%. If I am 53% sure, I go all in. And I looked at him like he was insane. I'm like, what do you mean? You're only half sure, so you you go all in. I'm like, I wouldn't do it unless I was like 99.9% sure. But just that little tip, help me sort of take a look when I'm in meetings and I'm putting my, my view forward or I'm advocating for something, I realize that not everyone around that table is 100% sure. In fact, a lot of them, and that was my boss in that case, he was the president of the company, he was only 53% sure when he was putting his fist down and he was advocating for something. I'm like, that really changed the way I look, I look at the world. And for women, I think taking little steps there builds your confidence, which is just as important as building your career skills. Debbie, I so agree. You know, no one grows as a leader without the support of others. And yeah. we know that women tend to be a lot less confident than men. That has been proven over and over again in every research study ever conducted about confidence levels. And as you noted, confidence is just as important as competence in terms of uh, success. So, uh, being able to be part of a peer network to help you grow as a leader with the support from others and being able to generate that kind of confidence, I think, is really key. Um, you know, McKinsey has actually noted that women are often held to a higher performance standard than men. And so they may be more likely to take the blame for failure, especially when the stakes are high. So senior level women could actually face higher levels of criticism and harsher judgment for anything that isn't a um, roaring success. And so what are some of the ways that women can best manage this kind of stress and pressure and avoid burnout? Because as McKinsey notes, women are often held to higher performance standards, especially in environments of stress and pressure. Yeah, and that, that is such interesting research. And the other piece that I find very interesting in parallel is when you look at when, when women are promoted or when they're given stretch assignments, for women, they are given those assignments and those promotions based on their performance track record. Men are given those same opportunities based on their perceived potential. So those are two completely different things. Like, so for women to get anything, you have to prove it time and time again. For men, it's what do I think they're capable of doing? So again, the, the playing field is not even there. And so for women, I encourage you to do a couple of things. One is make sure that you do your homework and you show your data. So even though you could throw something out and you could advocate for something, you need to have done your homework because when people ask probing questions, they have to go be able to defend where they got to that position from. So I always say, just make sure, just like in school, show your work because that's always defensible. And the other thing is, is I think part of that research is actually that women will take the blame for things and they don't push back. 
And so we've often seen in cases, and I know we're generalizing based on gender, but I think both men and women can learn from these lessons, is if someone says, no, you're wrong, or no, this way is wrong, I want you to go this way, often as women will say, okay, sorry, 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 and we apologize, instead of defending what we know is right or that we've got the data, we've got the supports. And I think that's important is being able to push back in a positive, proactive way, not just take the blame, because it's very easy to have a scapegoat in a room. And the one other trick that I think is really important is especially if you're going into a situation where it's a very big project or a very big presentation or there's a lot on the line is to get some allies before you go in that room. So you know what the outcome is going to be before you even present it. So have a couple people that are going to have your back. And it does help if they're more senior or if they're men, uh, like it or not. Unfortunately, today, that's true. But as long as, as long as it's someone with a lot of credibility, have a couple people that have your back in that room and make sure that uh, they're there for you to support you. And even if they don't need to step in, just psychologically knowing that you've already got half the team on side before you even open your mouth makes a world of difference. And that goes back to confidence as well. The advice that you've shared with us today, Debbie, is so practical, so simple, yet so hard to put into practice all the time. And so I I think our listeners were just will get so much out of this discussion. But we have just one last question for you. So for our listeners, can you share with us the best piece of leadership advice you've ever received um, and one that you think would be most valuable to carry forward to them? Sure. I'd be happy to. I'm fortunate enough to have some amazing mentors in my life. So I had to think really hard about this one, but I'm going to give you one that I think is applicable to no matter where you are in your career, no matter what you do. One of the most important ones that, again, it goes back to having a great CEO a long time ago. He said that make sure that every conversation you go into, and we were in the hospitality business back then. So whether it was the busboy or the person that's cleaning out the garbage or the CEO or the owner of the organization, every conversation you have, make sure you learn something from that person. You can learn just as much from any person you talk to. So don't focus on learning from the CEO. Learn to play high, learn to play low, and take something away from every conversation you ever have because everyone's got something to teach you. That's amazing. I love that. Thank you so much. So that is awesome. I think we've had a wonderful time today. Just your discussion has been amazing. Your expertise has been so practical. Thank you so much for sharing your gift with us today, Debbie. We are so grateful. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's such a pleasure. And Thank you so much. Thank you, ladies. Thank you for joining Leadership Global, a podcast for and about unstoppable women stepping into courage, claiming their power, and embracing bold leadership. Join us each week as we talk to a collection of inspirational women changing the world and tackling the most pressing issues we're facing today as women and as leaders. See you next week.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.